Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they would like to put into a time capsule. They can pick four things that they cherish and would like to keep safe, but they also pick one thing they'd like to get rid of from their life, something they'd like to forget by burying it in the ground and never thinking of it again. My guest in this episode is one of the most successful podcasters this country has ever produced, if not the most. Jamie Morton hosts the podcast My Dad Wrote a Porno with James Cooper and Alice Levine, where every episode Jamie reads a chapter of Belinda Blinked, an amateur erotic novel series written by his father under the pen name Rocky Flintstone. They react to it and then talk about it. And that's it. I don't know if you know this podcast. If you don't, then you're in the minority, as it's been downloaded over 440 million times. Yep, 440 million times. It's been an HBO comedy series, and it's been performed live all over the world. From the Edinburgh Fringe to Montreal's Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, the Sydney Opera House, and the Royal Festival Hall in London. And although it concluded after six seasons, there's life in the old dog yet, as they say. More about that in the podcast. Meanwhile, the Belinda Blinked books sell in their millions. So who is J.B. Morton? Well, he's primarily a director and one of the most sought-after creatives in British production, having worked on some of the UK's most successful television formats, including The Apprentice and The X Factor. He's worked on shows like the Royal Television Society award-winning Being Human and BAFTA-winning The Fades, and also Eating With My Ex for BBC Three. Still, let's find out what he thinks are the most important things in his life and the one thing he would like to forget. Here is the time capsule of the extraordinary but delightful Jamie Morton, recorded in his kitchen. Yes, I got a day out. Hooray! It must have been the most extraordinary thing. I mean, you do something like that, I think that's a nice idea. I think some people might like that. When I wrote porno, yeah. yeah. 
Oh my god. And then suddenly insane. Oh my god. The strangest thing about it was that it was so instant. There was no moment of almost adjusting to it. It just was it, we put it, it, it out and then it just within a couple of weeks it was It didn't even have that growing period. No, it was I mean it obviously did did grow continually, yeah. but it kind of yeah, it kind of hit the ground running really, which was yeah. You know, the thing where you go, Oh uh, oh look, we've got ten thousand listeners. Yeah. Oh hang on a second, we've got Jesus Christ. I <laughs> yeah. And you're like, that can't be correct. You know, it's like there must be some sort of mistake. And it was so early in the podcasting game as well. It was one of those things that we were like, maybe there's only a hundred podcasts in the world. So of yeah. course we're in the top. Yeah. Whatever. And then you slowly realise, oh no, there's there's loads. They just loads. weren't quite as mainstream by then. But yeah, it was amazing. It's a lovely thing to have done, I think. Yeah. You're just a bunch of mates as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. University friends, yeah. <laughs> kind of in a way, it's kind of like we should have thought about it more because we never really had any of the, that drama of tensions or anything because we just know each other so well. It's a bit like we know when to leave it, when to kind of jump in. and Yeah, the normal conversation you would have had. Yeah, just oh, all of oh, those. she's off now. This is funny when she does it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. When you're touring, it's like, I've just got so many friends who've toured. Sometimes it's a little bit tricky with relationships, whereas, you know, we've been on holiday together for you know, 20 years. So it's yeah. not, it really wasn't that different. Obviously it is different, but no. generally speaking, it was just such a nice kind of environment. So we were very lucky. And That's why I thought it was so skillful about the podcast. So that, oh, that you did so many. Yeah. And that it continued <laughs> to entertain and it continued to work. Yeah. I mean, well, I think a lot of that was kind of... It's, to, a, it's a chemistry between us. Yeah. It? And also like having kind of breaks between books yeah. and like having seasons. When we started, everyone said that we couldn't do that that podcasting was a weekly format and we were like well that's not going to work for this material because it would be too much it's become desensitised by the funniness of it so yeah to kind of have the courage to say no we're going to actually put it out and then we're going to wait a whole year and then we're going to come back and everyone was like well no one will care about it no No, it'll disappear I I believe in it I think yeah, yeah. the product's good enough for people to come back, actually. It works with every other medium, doesn't it? Exactly. I mean, and I guess because, like, my background's TV, that's when I started. I was like, that's just kind of how I'm used to working. And mm-hmm. and also, you know, you want to have the quality to be as high as possible. And if it's every single week, you know, and you're having to be funny and, like, fresh and yeah. people work differently. But I think for, for our show, it was quite clear quite early that to sustain it and for it to have any kind of longevity, it had to be a bit more spaced out. Mm. And yeah, it worked for us. But, but then know. also that just shows that maybe there's nothing wrong with holding back, holding things back. I think, so. I think like having the, we always call it the Adele model. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, release an album and fuck off for three years, then come back. <laughs> and if you're good enough or the thing is, you know, the concept's strong enough and you've done a good enough job at building an audience, believe in what you've created a little bit and trust that, people will want to come back and luckily that happened with us. Yeah. And I think because of podcasting, because it's always there, it's not quite the same as TV. It's not gone. You know, no. people can listen to it. They people are constantly discovering it. You yeah. Know. And, and, and must, they must be now. They must be, I mean, oh all the God. time you get people, I, you know, that's what yeah. happens here. I get people saying, uh, well, just listen to the first episode of your podcast. And I go, oh, that's good because there are 260 more. Yeah. We get 10,000 brand new listeners a day. Wow. who've never listened to it before. Wow, that's I mean, amazing. it's insane. And you're like, how? But 
I guess they discover it or they and it doesn't stumble. Doesn't Why does it? And it yeah, it's a yeah, it doesn't. It's just it's a it's a piece of comedy. I, and also like, and I'm sure this is true. Well, it is true of you as well. Like you know, on a morbid level, like when we're not here anymore. Like it's if nice. any of our friends and family want to hang out with us for it's, an hour, there we are. Just whack on a episode of our podcast. Absolutely. And, there. and also you people know? I've had on. You know, I mean, I've had a couple right, of people of on, and then they've died. Yeah, and now oh, I saw um, John Chalice, the actor John Chalice. Yeah, yeah. I saw his, his wife at this conference thing. Yeah, and I was saying to her, uh, Miss John, lovely man, and she said, Yeah, but you know, if ever I want to spend some time with him, I just listen to your podcast. Oh, don't. I said, Oh my God, that's beautiful. That's amazing. And she said, I've got oh, it on thing, and I just put it on and just listen to him talk for a bit. Go, wow. Oh wow, what a thing to have done, you know? Yeah, and then, yeah, that's the thing; it lasts forever. And it's similar, like, yeah, I didn't get into it, but like you working with your son as well, it's such a nice thing, isn't it? To kind Fabulous. of do Who something think, together, you know? it's I mean, like he's, amazing. He's getting over 40, and I'm you know where I am, and you sort of go, Yeah, how amazing that And is. to have come together in a brand new medium rather than talk to him once a month and say, You know, how are you? Oh, good, okay, you ever come in to see your mother? You know, yeah. which is what a lot of parents have, but you say, with you, you have yeah. that relationship with your dad, yeah, so it's I a mean, blessing, fractious often, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. well, I'm sure there are. If you spoke to John, there are many times <laughs> he goes, He's a fucking pain in the ass. How yeah. many times have I told you not to do that? You know? <laughs> and particularly with tweeting and things like that, you know, and I just will I just go, don't. Well, we may touch on it. it may oh, well, it's me. one of my things is my dad's book. So we oh, brilliant. Yeah, because I was like, do you want to know what they are? Should I no, no. Are? We're I'm just going to run through. Go. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then I sort of, uh, I approach it from an area of ignorance. Okay, great. It makes me, to a large extent, like the listener. Okay. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah. Well, I hope so, anyway. Yeah. Otherwise, people are saying, why is he asking about that? Everybody knows about that. <laughs> Well, you know, that's the thing. If, if you know about my dad wrote a porno, you know about it. If you don't, people mm. are still like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Your dad won't. So it's a nice thing to be like. I, I love meeting people who have absolutely no idea about what it is because it's always fun to see their reaction. Did anybody ever say to you, oh, I don't think that's going to sell with that name? Yeah, Apple actually had an issue with it initially. Did they? Yeah, they were very much, you know, because Apple can recommend shows and boost things. Mm. And we were told that the porn of it all meant no. And, and we got no a- advertising for years. Right. A couple of years before people started to be like, oh, actually, it's quite popular. We make- the money talk to advertisers. They were like, oh, there's listeners there. That could mean money for us. So we'll look over the porn element. Yeah. Okay, Jamie. So let's talk about the five things you've chosen to go yeah. into a time capsule. My God. I'm very interested to find out. Because you are a big theatre man, aren't you? I am. Yeah, I am. In fact, my first thing is... The Oldham Coliseum. If oh. I can put that whole theatre in the time capsule. Because that was the first place I ever saw live theatre in my life. Really? I grew, I grew up in, in, in Manchester and we would go to the Panto every year. And it's so sad that it's now... It's under threat, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty much curtains. Yeah, it's awful. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful theatre. I've played it. It's have you really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and it's, it's one of those theatres that's so... It's such a part of the community and it's so important for people to be able to see good theatre where they live, you know. Mm. It can be such an elitist thing going to the theatre, especially in London. And it's so expensive. But yeah, for me as a kid, it was literally the first time I saw kind of any of the arts, really. It was it was this whole other world that was opened up to me and that kind of started my whole journey of wanting to do this. So, mm. Yeah, it's so important. And, and and to see it just be so disregarded by the government is such uh, a shame. It's terribly sad, I think. Yeah. Because in fact... It's not about people going on to become actors or to be in the arts, to work in the arts. It's what it does to you seeing people do that. And in fact, yeah. then if you then get an involvement in it as a child, 
I think it can teach you so much. Yeah, and just, you know, because all of my... I have three sisters, none of them are in the entertainment industry, but they had the exact same reaction to it as I did, and we just loved it, and it was... And all kids need and want to be taken away to somewhere else. And their imaginations are so full anyway. And just to see something like the theatre, it's such a... It's different from movies or anything else. It's the the immediacy of it. It just, it brings everything so vividly to life that, yeah, I just I just would wait all year to go to that. Which is funny because I, I, you know, Panto now, I'm like, oh, I went with my little nephew this, <laughs> this Christmas um, down in Canterbury because my friend was in it. And I was like, oh... Yeah, Panto's interesting, isn't it? I'd kind of forgotten, like... I mean, it's wonderful, because it's got all those kind of, like, you know... It's such a kind of British institution, isn't it? But as a kid, I just remember just loving it, and... and well, you yeah. would be aware as a child, almost immediately, because they ask it of you, that, that your involvement is important. And that makes the right. live nature yes. of the thing very clear, I think. That's such a good point. Yeah, you are involved in its inception. You need to really, shout, you need to laugh, yeah. you need to boo. And you get sweets thrown out to you. I mean, it's, I mean, it, yeah. it's bribery, really. You will have a good time, children, because we're going to be giving you things. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. It is. It's so kind of immersive in that way mm. that for your first experience of the theatre, you know, it's the old, you know, cliche. If your first experience is at some bad Shakespeare somewhere, you'll, it, it, it can put you off for life. Whereas yeah, I think Panto is such a great entree into that world because it is so. Uh, yeah, I think I even went up on stage one time, which was amazing. Yeah, I loved it. Like, we all loved it. It was just mm. such a special... It was such a kind of thing for our family, and it was amazing. Because I'd, I'd never been to London. The first time I went to London was when I moved down here when I was 21. Mm. So I'd never seen a West End show or anything. So, so Manchester Theatre was really the only place I ever got to experience yeah. it. It's not far off London, is it, Manchester Theatre? No, absolutely. And and I remember, like, we used to see all of the touring productions at the Opera House or mm. the Palace. And, and actually, when I played the Manchester Opera House for the first time, well, the only time I've, I've ever played, actually, with my dad wrote a porno, I was a bit like, this is a full circle moment of being backstage at this theatre that I just loved so much growing up. And saw everything at... Sorry, I live on a main road. That's There's right. going to be a lot of that. I don't I'm mind. I'm so sorry. No, that's real life. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It's just, yeah. you know, just here having a cup of tea chatting. Yeah, so that, 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 that was amazing to kind of be backstage and be on the stage that I saw everything at as a kid. It was Incredible. amazing, actually. It was so, And it was so much smaller than I remember it being. And, that, that's often the way, And strangely, from the stage, theatres look a lot smaller, which is a brilliant yeah. deceit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, in yeah. Fact, for an audience, you feel like you're in this massive arena. Yeah. But for people on stage, it feels almost as if everybody's close enough to touch them. Yeah. It's really interesting. When, when, when we played the Royal Albert Hall, I was so scared about it being so huge, but yeah. it feels... On that stage, it, it it's almost giving you a hug, that yeah. auditorium. It is so yeah. intimate, which yeah. is bizarre because there's, what, five and a half thousand people. But, yeah, exactly that. You feel a connection with every single seat in the house, which is really special. It's an amazing thing that, that theatre does. You it bring does, everybody Yeah, close. and it's interesting because, you know, I've played, you know, Radio City Music Hall and the Sydney Opera House, which are completely different mm. sorts of auditoriums that really kind of go back. Yeah. And you lose so much of that intimacy because of that, which is a shame. And you know, old school theatres are just, they're just so special. Not just because of the history, but no. of the way they, they make you feel as a performer and as an audience member, I think. Yes. And that theatre in Oldham, it's tragic if buildings <laughs> like that disappear. Yeah. It just feels so unnecessary and kind of so short-sighted because it is places like that that are 
so important to society. You know, it is community. It's about mm. bringing people together and, and exposing people to different sorts of ideas. And, you know, the arts generally are that. But I think theatres, that's such a British institution. Yes. I mean, I should imagine quite quickly you go from going to the pantomime every year to going to see plays and then yeah, going to see absolutely. musicals and then suddenly going, hang on a minute, there's so yeah. much more here. And now I'm a theatre director, so it's like... And I'm, maybe I would be anyway, but I doubt it if mm. I didn't have that immediacy of, of just the access to great theatre on my, on my doorstep growing up as a kid. It's so important to expose kids to that sort of thing early, I think. Yeah, just to give them the option. Yeah, yeah. or just to see what can be possible, you know. It doesn't Indeed. have to mean that you, yeah, go and work in it. Because, you know, we need audiences too, right? You know, it's no good at all wanting to be in the theatre if no one's going to come and see you. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, it's a great place for people to become theatre-goers and understand that that is a relationship, you know. But as you say, also community. So, in a way, the expense of theatre, the cost mm. of going to see it, it was always accessible. And it has such a knock-on effect to who gets to experience the theatre. You know, I, I go to theatre a lot, obviously, and, mm. you know, it is the same audiences at every single thing I see. You know, it's not a diverse audience. You know, diversity on the stage is getting better, which is fantastic, mm. but the audiences really aren't because it's so bloody expensive to go. Yeah. For the average person, you might go to the theatre once a year. And the pressure on that show being a great show and how do you choose what show to see you know it, it should be like a movie or a TV show and be like oh do you know what that wasn't for me but if you just see something once a year yeah. you're going to like everything because you've spent so much money on it you kind of convince yourself oh it was great and I'm going to stand up and applaud because I've bloody paid for it well of course if that you is know, why people go back to see the same shows why they go to see right. movies again because they know what they're going to get yeah, yeah. yeah whereas it should be accessible enough and affordable enough for you to hate stuff yeah and then you get a real education of what theatre is. Mm -hmm. It's like all art, you know, it's subjective and some things work for you and some things don't. And it doesn't mean it's a bad, it just means that it didn't speak to you for whatever reason. And I feel that the more elitist theatre becomes and the more expensive it is, you kind of lose some of the point of the theatre, which is mm. it, sh it, it should be for everyone. That's, yeah. that's its roots, you know. That's where everyone used to experience the arts. That was it. Yes. The theatre was the arts in this country for, you know, hundreds of years. So it is a shame, I think. Yeah, I think of my parents talking about being young people growing up in, you know, a poor part of London. They lived in Bermondsey near the... the yeah. were dockers. Yeah. Uh, so they didn't really have much money, but they went to the London Palladium to see shows quite regularly. Yeah. It's right. weird, isn't it? It's amazing, as, as we should be able to, you know. Mm. I'm obviously doing myself out of a job because I do want to be paid as a director as well as you. Know. So <laughs> yeah. I do understand there are the economics of the situation too, but I, 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 I just well, think the more people who get to you see can it, be the paid probably, but unfortunately what it requires is it requires investment from the government. Exactly. It needs you the know. government to recognise the worth of it and mm. go, do you know what? We don't want these places to close. So yeah. I will put the old Coliseum into the time capsule, but only so that you can reopen it okay, as great. artistic director. Uh, oh my God. Wouldn't funding. that be an amazing be job? Amazing. I would have, I would love to do that. Yeah, because yeah. it's so short sighted. It's like you know, it's and about it's good for the community. And start a, you know, yeah, to have old age pension shows where people. Yeah, can, you know. I used to be a member of the club theatre in Manchester where I grew up, and every Saturday I'd, I would I would just spend every Saturday at this little theatre, and we'd put on plays and we were taught by these old actors, and it was just amazing. And amazing. Yeah. I just worry that all of that's kind of being lost now. Mm-hmm. 
Oh Lord. <laughs> I know, that's a depressing start. No, no, let's okay, find well, something let's see what a number bit more two is. Let's, we'll put that in, that's the first one. <laughs> let's find out what item number two is. So, number two is also about my childhood, actually, mm. and it's two chickens called Henny and Penny. <laughs> um, and they were two chickens that me and my family. Me and my family. My family. Uh, we went to the same campsite in France every single year, every summer, for my entire childhood with my parents' best friends and their kids. And the first time we ever went to this campsite, there were two chickens, and we named them Henny and Penny. And then somewhere along the way, the whole campsite became known as Henny and Penny to us. And I don't even know the name of the campsite. I don't even know what it would what it's called or where it even is. It's in Bordeaux somewhere, but I, 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 I literally couldn't find it. If you, if you named every single campsite in Bordeaux, I couldn't name it. Um, and we just had the most amazing childhood adventures there every summer. And we were just, I mean, we were just feral. We were just <laughs> these kids who just ran around. And on, on the beach, there were all these old pillboxes from the war wow. that we would explore. And you could just like run around the whole of this, this huge coastline of dunes and... And we'd, like, build shacks, and it just was the most amazing place to kind of be free and mm. kind of escape Manchester. Yeah, I could imagine great. why your parents took you every year, because they just went... <laughs> exactly. for the entire day. You go and just... We don't care what you get up to. We don't want to know, actually. Uh, as long as you don't, you know, kill anyone, you're fine. But, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And, and when I was thinking about, you know, what I'd want to put in a time capsule, you know, it was such a great... It's, it's the sort of thing that, that we don't talk about as much as we should do because my mum's best friend died, unfortunately, when, when we were kids. So, and that's when we stopped going because I think it just all got a little bit hard. And you went as well, families? Yes, so we um, went together every single year. I was about 13 when she passed away. Mm. And so it's kind of become one of those places that has kind of just been... It's almost in a bit of a mausoleum as a memory, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, it would just be lovely to kind of open that up and, and just talk about it more as, as two families. Because actually one of Anna, the, one of the kids who's my age, she's just had a baby. And we just randomly started talking about it the other day. And it's like, oh, my goodness, we haven't talked about like this in 20 years. Mm. And her memories were the same, but just as yeah. enthusiastic about yeah. it. Yeah. And that, and that place where you know, our parents were as free as we were. Mm-hmm. You know, they were off for the two weeks or whatever it was and they could just be themselves. And Because, mm-hmm. you know, like, as it is for everyone, when you're at home and working and whatever, it's just a bit of a grind. And to see your parents just throw all their shackles off as well was so great. You know, yeah. we were all just... We were kind of all feral together, I think. <laughs> in different ways. The parents were just drinking and smoking and playing Yahtzee. And until so how many years is this over? Oh my god, about a decade probably. Right. Yeah. Oh right, so that's more than two chickens, really. I mean, the chickens didn't last that long. (laughs) I think that's why we called the campsite Henny and Penny. We were like, they're no longer here, but they're here in spirit. Okay. Henny and Penny live on. They deceive you then with that. Oh no, it's the same chickens. (laughs) No, yeah, they didn't. Uh, I don't even know if they even had chickens again. I don't know Mm. what what these random two chickens were doing there the first time we went there, but... It was sort of a farm, was it? Oh. I mean, it, no. no. <laughs> it was. A, it was. But by the beach. It I was mean, by it. the beach, and and we would like rent bicycles and we'd cycle to the beach, and yes, yeah, so it wasn't far from the beach, and it was very sandy. I remember that. Even mm. the soil was kind of sandy, and yeah, there were just these two random chickens, <laughs> uh, and we'd go to like the the little 
campsite shop where they'd sell, you know, chips and uh, you know, bread yeah. and stuff. There's nothing yeah. better than a, a, a frittery. <laughs> you just queue up and get. I chips. love it, and we'd always have to do it. Like that was our job as the kids. Quatre frites, s'il vous plaît. We'd like learn our French, and we thought we were really like sophisticated. I <laughs> once in a, a campsite a bit further up near, near La Rochelle on the. Oh yeah, coast. yeah. I was in a campsite there, and I saw an Englishman say to somebody, "Could we have any sweet wine, please? Sweet, sweet wine." The woman went. Uh, pointing to different bottles he said no sweet sweet um, well like those um, bonbon wine <laughs> did it work? no no the funny that great idea <laughs> yeah it was oh you know it just and also just like the 90s and remember remembering for me you know that time before god I sound like such an old <laughs> but like before no. technology and like you know for we me just it's were history. able yeah well exactly right yeah I mean I don't know I just think there was something so yeah freeing about just completely switching off you know mm. we were on a campsite there was nothing you know we didn't have mobile phones it was like you know I can't even imagine that now that my parents just left their lives for two weeks yeah completely yeah no one does that now you can't do that now no that would have been a time when you know it would have cost you a lot of money to use a mobile phone in france in the 90s. i don't think they even had a mobile phone I don't, probably not 1990 no you know it's like what did people do how would that i don't understand <laughs> like, do you know what i mean i'm like and out of office is one thing but to have absolutely no contact with the world it's a bit like you and i we both turned our phones onto silent daughter airplane mode we did yeah. I know that's because we're that's professionals that's that's we know what we're doing that's and, why and now we're filling the time with conversation <laughs> fancy that we're so old school what do we do we just sit here just texting each other that's much more yeah, it's quite it's more fitting um, yeah so I just think it's just a kind of a memory of that time and just I guess it's also for me that innocence of youth you know before the first significant death in my life you know mm. when before you know life really began to have consequences, I guess, or, or you even began to think that things weren't forever. Yeah. I think Henny and Penny just is that place for me, and it's a nice memory to kind of have. Mm. And those holidays in your memory go on for months and months. Yeah, forever. It's, it is. And I kind of think, you know, we must have been there for a couple of weeks. It can't yeah. be more than that. You well, know? you had to get there as well. That's yeah, cool. yeah. Oh, my God, that... Did you drive? Yes. <laughs> and my dad, God, he would like pack the car so tightly. <laughs> we would be like jammed up against like the window and and I'm a little bit claustrophobic, so I couldn't kind of handle it and I would have freak outs every now and then and be like ah! and they'd be like, just let it pass, it'll fine. And my sisters would like all laugh at me and goad me and like throw cushions on me and make me even more smothered. Uh, um, yeah. But yeah, it was just so fun. And that kind of thing of just having to just all be in it together and share yeah. a tent. And it was great. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> all right, well, let's put that in as a second thing. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I'm, I'm rather envious, I have to say. Uh, Did you have holidays like that? You must have I, had I, I didn't really. We used to go to holiday camps when I was a little kid. Okay. But of course, the journey. As a child, it's a variable thing, isn't it? Ours is probably only an hour and a half. But yeah. It seemed interminable. I mean, ours was longer than that and it was interminable. I mean, it was hideous. Yeah, forever. I yeah. hated it. It was like, just get me there, please. France is enormous. Run away. Yeah. Even getting from Manchester down to the ferry oh, was bad course, enough. Yeah. I was like, this is taking forever in of itself. And then you have to go to the other side. Yeah. And the Sally Ferry, oh God, such a snapshot in time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lovely though. Yeah, we did. I mean, my parents and I lived in France 
Mm. So we went with my wife and our children at those sort of ages. Oh, great. Their memory is probably fairly similar. Yeah. Although we were in the countryside, so just oh, but the same thing of just being able to do anything, yeah. go anywhere. Just the best. Amazing. Loved it. All right, Jamie. All right, that's lovely. Let's move on to uh, what you've chosen for number three. Okay, sorry to interrupt, but for everyone except Acast Plus subscribers to this podcast, here is a commercial break. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. Right, let's get straight back to Jamie Morton and discover what else he would like to put in his time capsule. Okay, number three. I mean, it's a basic choice, but I feel like I have to put it in there. It's my dad's book, Belinda Blinked. Mm-hmm. You know... The book that changed my life, you know, completely changed my life. <laughs> From the moment he told me that he was writing a novel, secretly in the garden shed, to me discovering that it was pornography and having a slight <laughs> issue with that, to see where this little book has taken us all is kind of incredible, you know. Incredible, yeah. It's been an amazing journey. And for those who don't know, you know, my dad wrote this book called Blind Blinked, and it's an erotic novel. And he sent it to me and I found it disgusting and hilarious because <laughs> it's the worst book ever written. I mean, I yeah. don't know if you're familiar with my dad's work, but it is awful. I am familiar, yes. It's uh, not what I'd call class. It's not high art, is not it? Not high art. No. But it's brilliant in its own way. Yeah. And, you know, he, the spelling's off and he forgets characters' names halfway through a chapter. <laughs> and It's just chaos, basically. And the sex is just appalling. And, yeah, I've said it before, but if, if I weren't alive, I would swear he was a virgin because he doesn't know anything <laughs> about the female body. Um, <laughs> and some of it's virtually impossible. Not vir- literally impossible. We've had doctors on the show to be like, can you grab a cervix in a sexual scenario? And they're like, absolutely not. You'd need forceps. I'm like, okay, good. So, yeah. Yeah, but we made we, and we made this uh, podcast, and it's just yeah become this this thing. So, so how did you start doing that? Did you actually just talk to them and say, "Look at this thing," and yeah, read them a bit? A hundred percent. It was kind of born from exactly that. My dad sent it to me. He didn't tell me it was erotica. He just said that he was writing a novel, and because he was a builder and had just retired, I was like, what a great way to spend your retirement, Dad. Yeah. Keep your mind active, be creative, mm. you know. I once said be creative for the first time, and he was like, 
building is very creative. He's from Northern Ireland. It's like, there's a lot of creativity in concrete. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Um, so he was always a creative man, but uh, maybe not literally. And he, yeah, sent it to me. I discovered it was pornography, and I just immediately ran to the pub, grabbed a load of friends, and was like, <laughs> guys, my dad's written this book. You have to hear it. Uh, and two of the friends who were there were Alice and James, because it was a group of my mates from university. And yeah, it, it, we were in this pub, and it was the format of the show. I was reading it, and all of my mates would chip in and be brilliantly funny, because, you know, I've got amazingly witty friends. And it just kind of quickly became clear that there was something in this. And it, it kind of became my party piece, mm. that, uh, you know, gatherings and, and, you know, social occasions. People would be like, I'll read a bit of Belinda. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, people seem to love this. Maybe we should actually, you know, yeah. do something with it. And it, and it. and it felt like podcasting was the perfect format for it because it was an anonymous, you know, you wouldn't have to know that you were listening to it. Because I read somewhere that the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon kind of was born out of the ebook, mm. so that no one had to know that you were reading you don't see this kind cover. of naughty stuff yes. on the tube. Exactly. So we were like, well, that could kind of work. And how would you want to visualise this? You wouldn't, because, as you say, it's not the most <laughs> titillating. So um, Imagine you going to the BBC. <laughs> exactly. Well, this was it. It was so funny. I think around about Series 3, the BBC got in touch, and they were like, oh, we'd like to be involved. And we were like, oh, now you want yeah, to be involved. Yeah. Oh, oh sure. Um, we politely declined. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was, and it was at the start of the whole podcasting renaissance, and that was really exciting. And through that, I've made so many great friends, and and been part of it's. It's really felt like it's been part of a a really creative movement in this country and internationally as well of of different voices being heard mm. through a brand new medium that people can. It's astonishingly generous as a world. Right? Yeah, isn't it? It's such a community. I love that about it. Like you know, because we met at a party of podcasters and. Yeah. And it's like, do you want to come went, on my I show? I love your and... podcast. You went, oh, well, I like yours. Yeah. Like, wow. Exactly. And it's, it is, it's so true. Generosity is a great word because it is such a, it is a community of people who just want to tell stories and they just mm. want to talk. And there's so many people out there who want to listen. And I think it is an amazing and although I suppose space. it is competitive in a way, you don't feel competitive. Yeah. I feel that we're doing really well with this podcast and I'm very happy with it. Right. You know, and I don't then look at other people's figures or where they are. Yeah. I don't do that. Well, there's no expectation, especially when, you know, I started. The, the thought of it being a number one podcast wasn't even really a thing. I mean, no. I didn't think about that. I just wanted to tell this story because I thought it was funny and people would enjoy it. And the idea of selling out the Royal Albert Hall was just not even remotely... I mean, it's just laughable, really, yes. that that would even be a consideration or, or that this couldn't have taken us there or, or our own show on HBO or whatever, you know, all the yeah. things that we've done. Amazing. It's just insane. And so because there was none of that pressure, it was just the most creative space. You know, there wasn't any of those kind of agendas that so often come into established media and, you know... Mm -hmm. Is that the sort of thing we should be doing? Right, right exactly. Yeah. And, and who's your audience for this? Well, I don't know. We'll find out, yeah. you know. Yeah. Turns out a lot of people like porn. <laughs> Who'd have known? Dad porn sells. And when I say sells, I mean listen for free, uh, which is unfortunate <laughs> for me. But it's what a terrible business model uh, the podcasting is. Um, uh, no, we've, we've, we've done all right by it. But yeah, I, I just think having my dad's book in there, and also it's a piece of my dad, and you know, mm. I'm so proud of him. And, and kind of as much as we've mocked the book throughout the years, he's kind of been right. Because these books... Are, have their own world, their own fan base. There are, you know, every live show we've ever done, people come dressed up as these characters. He has created this indelible world of people that 
are crazy, these characters, but they are beloved mm. by so by millions of people. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And yeah. not only that, he took it so well. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's got a great sense of humour. I mean, he never thought he was writing, you know, Shakespeare. Although Michael Sheen did compare him to Shakespeare, which wasn't helpful. I know. <laughs> because I was like, oh. And now it's, I mean, honestly, my dad's email signature is hilarious. It's every single person that's ever been on the show <laughs> basically complimenting him. And I'm like... Really, Dad? It's like Lynn Manuel Miranda said I sounded like Tolstoy. I'm like, I don't think he meant it. I think he was joking. <laughs> but yeah, he's been so generous with it. And, and and obviously, he's been a part of it creatively. You know, people are often surprised when I say that my dad's part of the business. I'm like, well, I wasn't going to do this without A, his consent, or B, his involvement on no. every level. And, mm. you know, he owns 25% of the company with me, me, Alison James. So he's as involved as all of us. Brilliant. So yeah, I think he's just been a little bit flabbergasted by it to kind of see I suppose my world in a way yeah the first time he's really seen the media industry up close and and to have had such a big hit with it is annoying because he thinks it's so easy and I'm like no dad (laughs) he's like well you were trying for years and then I came along and suddenly you had a success I'm like oh my god (laughs) and he's not wrong annoyingly so no but do you know that sort of um have a go attitude. I mean, mm. clearly that must have been passed on to you because you know, if your dad's a builder, you're living yeah. in Manchester area, and, and you suddenly think, "Well, I want to go into the world of theatre." That doesn't necessarily seem a perfect route, does it? It's interesting. I've always said, you know, I've been so lucky with my parents. My parents are very creative, and I mean, they're kind of hippies, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they hate me for saying that, but like, <laughs> you know, they're just they're, they they've always allowed me and my three sisters to be completely authentically ourselves. They never kind of put us in boxes or or nothing was ever expected of us except for us to be authentic human beings. And I think so many, particularly fathers of my of my dad's generation, you know, he's from Northern Ireland. He's very kind of from a very socially conservative world, mm. even though he isn't himself, which makes him an even more extraordinary person. But I think a lot of people's parents wouldn't have been as encouraging of my love for the arts and the theatre. And, and, I, and I think it's a lovely kind of full circle thing that actually my dad's kind of insistence on me being myself yeah. is the thing that's ultimately made him successful as well in his life. Because he's followed that route himself. Yeah. You know, be and yourself and he's been himself. It's all right, I think I can write. I'm going to yeah. shed and I'm going to write this book. And if he hadn't have let me be myself, I wouldn't be doing this. So I wouldn't have been able to take his work and make it into what it's been. And so we've kind of like scratched each other's back in a way. And, and it's we, been so we're nice. We're also well aware that lots of people who live in a prescriptive world mm. who are told you have to be like this and this is what people are like. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. you won't fit in. And the world demonstrates that that's absolute rubbish. Yeah, it's never been a problem for my family. <laughs> We've never fit in. <laughs> they were always. I remember my parents got a lot of flack from all of their friends where we grew up of you know their parenting style and letting us be you know mm-hmm. the way that we all are. And it's like I I hope that my parents feel vindicated in the way that they raised us because. Mm. They were right, you know, just let your kids be who they are and encourage them when they're interested in something and they have an inquisitive mind. You should really allow them to explore that. You know, Mm. I'm very lucky in that respect. I think, you know, my parents were incredibly supportive of that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being a hippie. Yeah, yeah. Except people laugh at you a lot. But Yeah, well, there you are. Let them laugh. Exactly. Who's laughing now, eh, Dad? (laughs) Probably everyone, because it's terrible. (laughs) But Belinda blinked, you know, it's a great piece of work. Yeah. It's one of the classics. It is. Well, it's in the British Library now, so, you know, it kind of is. It's an official book, which is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. My wife's parents, the reason they ended up in France is because 
they were both working on the buses in South End. Mm. He was a driver, she was a clippy. And over coffee one day, in the middle of the route, yeah. they talked about a friend of theirs who'd gone to Bordeaux, mm-hmm. grape picking. Penny and Penny? They're probably the They very, were there. Probably there. There you go. And they were, they'd gone grape picking. And oh, so wow. She said, wow, that sounds fantastic. And he said, do you want to go? And on that moment, decided to go, and they basically eloped and went off and bummed around France for about six, seven months. Oh, I love that. Had an adventure, and then came back and got married. Wow. Amazing. Mm. You see, just... There's a film. Right. You should be in it. (laughs) You should write it, write yourself a part. (laughs) Write it, play an old French bloke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you've got the range, come on. You could do anything. Just about. You're a living legend, for God's sake. (laughs) As if. Anyway, right. Fantastic. So that's three things we've put in. That's three, yeah. Mm. Okay. So my fourth thing that I want to preserve mm. is a little blade of grass from Centre Court at Wimbledon because I am the biggest tennis fan and the first time I ever walked into Centre Court I was like, this is like a cathedral. Mm. And it's just the most incredible place. And and I just love tennis, so I'd have to have something tennis-related. And I felt that was a pretty good thing. Yeah, so do you get to go often? I do. It's that stupid ballot, which I hate, mm-hmm. which means that I can't go as much as I want. And I'm actually, I've, I've started ticking off all of the tournaments around the world, which is fun. So I've been to the Australian Open. Yeah, I mean, I've been all over the world. I'm, I'm, I'm going to Monte Carlo for the first time in a couple of weeks. So wow. I'm looking forward to that. Barcelona, uh, Indian Wells. Yeah, it's been great. Amazing, yes. I've been to the Australian Open. It's fun, isn't it? It's fantastic. It's such a party. I didn't really know what to expect. Cause it's it's the opposite of Wimbledon. It's so... Because <laughs> Wimbledon, I love how it's so, you know, traditional or whatever. And classy, let's mm. say. Stuffy? Classy. We'll say classy. That's like a, a yeah. euphemism, isn't it, for a bit boring. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the Australian Open is chaos. Like, it's amazing. There's, like, parties. There's, there's DJ sets. There's, like, everyone's pissed you know I mean, Aussies <laughs> and you see everybody walking around don't you You've yeah seen... Melbourne Park's so accessible isn't it mm. yeah and all of the, the practice courts are right there and yeah it was amazing I had the best time mm. I took my parents actually we were touring Australia and, and I was like this will be a fun way to round off the trip and it was amazing yeah, yeah. it was great I've been, <laughs> I went to a number of strange things in Australia I went to the Gold Cup an Australian horse race the bloke who was managing us I think rang up and and try to get tickets, and they wouldn't give them to us. And he said, we'll get in, don't worry. So we turned up, and he pulled off this amazing blag, basically. He went up and said, can I talk to the steward? He knows I'm coming. And the bloke came forward and said, hello. And uh, he said, said, "Uh, I just come to collect the tickets for us. And the fellow said, what tickets? He said, well, well, surely the the steward at um, Ascot got in touch with you, didn't he? He told you. He said he oh would fax you. Oh, my God, I love this. I don't, I don't have the balls for this sort of thing. No, me neither. This is great. Like, no, I, I never received the thing. He said, oh, I don't believe it. I can't believe it. We've come all the way here for this, especially for this. Oh, <laughs> From England? Yes. We came for literally this. for this. And, you know, and he said he would fax you and you would arrange for us to have tickets. And went, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, uh, he said, you look, um, I, I can get you tickets, but, you know, the guys are going to have to put jackets and ties on. And so he then supplied us all the jackets and ties. <laughs> we went into the royal enclosure. No yeah. way. <laughs> Do you think that'll work in the royal box at Centre Court at Wimbledon? No, I, I don't know. know. I don't know. That would be the dream, to see a match in the royal box. <sighs> I mean, that would be great, wouldn't it? It's annoying occasionally when you look up and you think, so, well, where are they all? There are empty seats. 
Yeah, yeah, they're all just getting pissed at the back. <laughs> but that could be you. It could. I mean, I mean, who gets to go in there? Like, well, people who signed to the BBC. Oh, really? I think or that... Olympians and things. Yeah, things that I'm probably not going to be able to achieve at this point. Let's <laughs> Am I going to be an Olympic gold medalist? Probably not, unless it's like in shooting or something. Um, maybe snooker is that an Olympic sport? Um, or just befriend William and Kate, I guess. Yes, that'll do it. Yeah. So which games have you seen? Which matches? Oh, my God. Um, I mean, nothing like... I've ha- I haven't seen, like, any of, like, the classic matches. Like, I wish I was there for the Federer-Nadal 2008 match. Can you imagine? I mean, no. I mean, Rafa is my ultimate favourite tennis player. I mean, I don't want to geek out, but, like, the man's a legend. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I've seen pretty much everyone, like Andy Murray a bunch of times, Djokovic-Nadal, obviously, Federer... Serena, that was amazing. Seeing Serena on centre court. Wow, what a woman. She is incredible. I mean, it was it was kind of unfair. Yeah. I was I forget who she was playing, but they just were pulverised. I was like, <laughs> Serena, this is brutal. And also, I want my money's worth. Come on, give her a few games. It was over in 20 minutes. I've been very lucky. I've seen so many people like... Like, I, I was at the Australian Open women's final against Garbini Muguruza and Sofia Kenin. That was great. And I, and I actually saw the final between Djokovic and... Dominic team as well that year, right? Which was a great match. That was like a five set. Yeah. Great. So yeah, I've seen. Like I've seen some good ones. again. Yeah, I know he's pretty good, isn't he? He's pretty good. He's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. I know. It was a very strange thing that thing of him during COVID and everything of just mm. the whole Australian country sort of turning against him. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? And yeah, and now it's all forgiven. Yeah, I mean, I guess winning covers a multitude of sins, I guess. But yeah, it was an, yeah, he's an interesting character, isn't he? Know about Djokovic? I don't know if I agree with a lot of what he espouses, but he's a, no, he's a fantastic tennis player. That's a, yeah, that's a difficult thing, isn't it? If you sort of go, that's rubbish. You know, that doesn't make any sense at all, Novak. And he yeah. goes. Well, I think I'll be the evidence. Right, exactly. And, you know, I guess my only thing with him is that... And it isn't actually him. It's his kind of fans who are... You know, there's been a lot of stuff about him being banned from all these tournaments. And I'm like, he's not been banned. He's chosen not to take a vaccine, which means he can't enter the country. It's not the same. Mm -hmm. He can play tomorrow if he gets a vaccine. But, like, you know, players like Daniil Medvedev, who couldn't play Wimbledon because of being born in Russia, that's being banned. Mm. But let's not get into that, because it can get contentious, and I don't want to, you know... yeah. This isn't a political podcast, for God's sake. But yeah, he's an interesting chap, the old, the old Novak. Well, um, yes, I will put that blade of grass, but also right. wouldn't it be lovely to have one of those little badges that just... Oh, a medalist badge, in? yeah. Again, have to win Wimbledon. Unlikely for me. <laughs> you have a better shot at that, I think, <laughs> than I do at this point. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I wonder how you can become a member. That would be good. Yeah. Maybe that should become my life mission, to try and become like a member of the Do you think England it's one of those things like the MCC where you have to be nominated? Probably. So yeah. If anyone it. works for the LTA, get in touch. Come on. <laughs> Help me out. And say, I promise I'll take one blade of grass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not going to dig a hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're allowed to even step on the grass, are you? I think no. it's like, I mean, it's a sacred place, you know. I mean, that would be amazing to, to, like, to play tennis on Santa Court. I mean, my God. I don't know how they do. I really don't know. I mean, even as a performer, the idea of having to be that concentrated on a game with yeah. all that noise and reaction. And it's so... They must do, right? It's so gladiatorial. That's why I love tennis. It's it is it's so physical, but it's also so mental. It's like the perfect marriage of the two disciplines and it's just one player against another player. It's yeah. an absolute 
gladiator match. I just, I love it. It's just, oh. and it goes on. I love how it goes on until someone wins. You mm-hmm. know, there's no draws in tennis. <laughs> I love that. You know, you got to win it. You are. It's never over until until the last point. And that's why I love Rafa so much because he he oh. plays every point as if it's the only point he's playing. Absolute legend. Yeah. How um, to bring yourself up to do it again and again and again. Yeah. Day after day. It's astonishing. And someone told me the other day, it's just such a good point, you know, a professional tennis player loses every week. Of course. Unless they, you know, win the tournament. But nobody wins every tournament every week. So, like... That's a bit like being an actor and doing things. Yeah, it is, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, also, once you become famous in that world, you, you remain famous. It's interesting. I think sports people are the ultimate in longevity of fame and... Mm. Because they're just legendary, aren't they? Yeah. You know, those are the people that I think everyone has a bit on a pedestal. Because it's so unrelatable, you know, to be an elite athlete is just yeah. so otherworldly. It's amazing. Yes, absolutely. In our business, people are not that impressed by Each other. having had certain jobs. Yeah. It's exactly. a job. Yeah. And it's so luck dependent and it's all about, you know, taste. And it's an objective thing, I guess. But mm. like being the, the greatest tennis player or being... You know, Usain Bolt or, you know, whoever, Mbappe, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, these people are amazing. Yeah. And they're untouchable, which is... The only other f- people I admire like that are dancers, because you mm. know they're the same sort of work. Very similar. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, lovely. We'll take a little tiny blade of grass. Great. We'll sneak it out. Yes. Uh, I'll cover for you while <laughs> you're like... <laughs> we'll get roots. I'm going to get roots. I'm going to put it in lovely oh, soil. Okay. I'm going to give it light. Perfect. We can water it regularly. Make sure it keeps yes. Oh my god, great. We can create our own centre court from that little blade of grass. Eventually. Perfect. <laughs> right, Jamie, we've got one more thing to put in. <sighs> and this is the thing you don't want to remember. This was hard, you know. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people say this is hard. But I've gone for something that I just wish I didn't do. Right. And it's not my fault. Or maybe it is my fault. I don't think it's my fault. I. <laughs> I'm a nervous sweater, and I hate it. Every single time I've ever been on a stage, and I've done, you know, two world tours, I just am backstage, like, so nervous, and I'm just, like, sweating, and it's so embarrassing and debilitating, and it's made me stop doing it, to be completely honest, because I just hated the way... My body would. I always thought. I've always thought thought that it's my body's way of telling me that you shouldn't be on a stage. <laughs> like, what do we have to do to prove to you that you shouldn't be doing this? We're going to make you so uncomfortable and so humiliated in front of thousands of people every single night. And when I was doing it, doing my direct porno, Alice and James, my two co-hosts, would be there, <laughs> shivering on these stages because they were so cold, and I'd be like. And it was so embarrassing. And they'd have to, like, on my ride, I had, I had, like, a little fan that would be behind my chair, which didn't ever really work. And actually, when we did our HBO comedy special, we filmed it at the Roundhouse in London mm. over a couple of nights. And the, f- <laughs> the first day's filming, it was live audience and everything. And after about two... I'm not joking, about two minutes, the director, Hamish Hamilton, who's one of the greatest directors in the world, he directed every Super Bowl halftime show... The Oscars, like, you name it. He was the director of Danny Boyle's opening ceremony at the Olympics. Wow. Legend. Two minutes in, cut. Retouch up Jamie's face. (laughs) Another two minutes, cut. More powder. Five minutes, cut. And then he just came out and he was like, Jamie, it's ruining the whole rhythm of the show. We're going to have to just run the show, sorry. And I'm like, this is being filmed in 8K. 
Are you insane? <laughs> I'm going to be the laughing stock. You see every individual group. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, it's fine. And then I found out that that night we were going to do another show the next day. They had this this crisis meeting about my sweating and they flew in overnight this special makeup that basically is kind of antiperspirant makeup. And the next day, the makeup artist, she was so nice. And she was like, look, I've used this ev- like on the Vegas strip. This is, it, it's just, you know, chemical. And I was like, okay, great. Literally five minutes in. Cut. <laughs> and the makeup artist came up, she was like, I don't understand your body. Like, how? Human. This is, yes, this is not possible. This is a chemical thing. You, how are you sweating through this stuff? So I just have this thing and it's so embarrassing and oh. it's just so rubbish. So and then, you're the only person who, when Prince Andrew said he doesn't sweat, you went, <laughs> your ears pricked up. <laughs> How'd you do it, Andy? <laughs> it's the only thing that I ever want to talk to you about. But I, I've only not had it once, actually, really weirdly. And it was at the Royal Albert Hall, which is a show that you'd think I would be the most nervous for. My Ooh. whole family were there, all my friends. But I didn't get it because this is a terrible name drop, but I'm going to do it. Because Emma Thompson surprised us backstage before we went on stage and she was like, guys, just wanted to say, smash it tonight, I'm so proud of you both. She's like the loveliest person in the world, I love her. Mm. And I was so kind of like, oh my God, Emma Thompson's here. What? <laughs> but I didn't have time for my body to get all nervous and weird and I just walked out on stage and I was fine. The whole show. So I need to tour with Dame M. There we are. To shock me before every answer. single show. There's the answer. Well, so we shouldn't put um, this to bury it. We should just put Emma in. Yeah, exactly. I mean... But whatever you need her. You know, it's not like she's a huge, you know, double Oscar winning actress. She's got nothing on. All the time in the world to come and follow me around. <laughs> I but had yeah, an experience with Emma a long time ago. And I think it absolutely would demonstrate to anybody who doesn't know her what she's like. I went to see um, anybody who performed at the Almeida was invited mm. to see Rafe Fine's performance of Hamlet. Oh, wow. And so we all took our tickets. We at the Amela? Uh, no, at the um, East London, the, the famous theatre there. Um, oh, the Hackney Empire. Yeah, we was at the Hackney Empire. Right. So we Great uh, theatre. Beautiful theatre. Yeah. There were lots of famous people there for this opening night. And all the people who'd ever performed at the Almeida got an invitation, so I went along, and we were all then taken and herded up to the gods... And oh, sat cool. on basically benches at the top, wow. right at the top of the theatre. It's quite sort of old style. Yeah. But we didn't complain. We thought, you know, well, that's fair enough. We've got free tickets. Yeah. And there were loads of like, Hollywood stars and everything downstairs, including Emma. Of course. Who, at the interval, came all the way up to see all the people she knew. Oh. Hello, hello. And, and, and everybody had a chat with her. And then a man came along and sort of said, excuse me, um, Mr. Thompson, I, I wonder, we're just about to start again. Can, can I take you back down? And she stood up and very loudly said, no, she said, no, I'm going to stay up here <laughs> with all the other actors. Yeah, exactly. And she was She's very like that. She's yeah. great. There's no pretension to Emma. I mean, I don't know her well, but she's been a very supportive person to me. Mm. She's amazing. And I think she's really great at supporting young talent. Like, she was so... And continues to be so lovely to all of us, actually. Mm. Yeah, she's an amazing person. I love her. Brilliant. Yeah. It must be nerves, then. It just must be nerves that makes it happen. Yeah, I don't know. But then it's weird because... But you don't sound nervous when you're on stage. No, but I'm not nervous when I'm on stage. And I don't get it when I'm on television. Apart from... So the HBO, I got it because it was in front of an audience. Yeah. But if I I did Saturday Kitchen the other day, I was fine. 
It's the weirdest thing. So mm. I don't know what... It's something about performing to an audience, I think. I don't know. And it's not like these people aren't expecting me to walk out. You know, it's not like I'm a stand-up on a, you know, open mic night where I <laughs> no. might be hated. You know, people have <laughs> bought a ticket. They know that I'm going to come out and read my dad's porn. It's not that surprising. I should be fine. But it's just... An, yeah, it's a chemical thing in my body that just makes me... Yeah, and it's one of the reasons why I just had to stop doing it. Oh, well, I'm going to put it in the time capsule. Get rid of it for me. It's going in the wet room. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, yeah. I was like, how do I put it in there? Do I just put it in a little little vial of sweat? Gross. Let's not think about the logistics, but let's just get rid of it. (laughs) Fantastic. Jamie, thank you so much for talking to me. uh, Oh, thanks for having me. It's been so fun. Lovely. Lovely to meet you, and uh, and I am a big fan of your work. Oh, thanks, likewise. I mean... As I say, yeah. living legend. <laughs> In my house, can you believe it? <laughs> Time for tea. Yes. <laughs> you have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Jamie Morton. Thanks very much for listening. Feel free to rate or even review my time capsule before you leave us. And if you've had fun, then do subscribe. And we'll make sure that every new episode is available to you on the day of its release. I'm on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Well, not literally. I'm actually on a chair. Still, if you want to follow or befriend me, or if you want to follow my time capsule, we're both very friendly on those platforms and happy to chat or answer any questions you may have. For example, it's a padded office chair that used to belong to my friend Jeremy Pascal. In case you were wondering, if you like the theme tune, and who wouldn't, it's available to download or stream on Spotify. And if you want to hear this podcast without adverts, then become an Acast Plus listener for a very small monthly contribution. This cast-off production, produced by John Fenton Stevens, was made for Acast and is available wherever you get your podcasts. But you know that, don't you? Because you've already found us. So do tell your friends. Thanks. And in memory of Spike Milligan, I'll leave you with a poem. There was a young man called Fred, who had flowers growing out of his head. When his friends felt sickly, he'd rush round quickly and stand in a vase by their bed. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.